all beans, y'all. Let's get it. All right, we're back, people. I'm like Jason. You can slice my arm off, but I'm coming back. I'm back. Welcome back to Calling All Beans. My name is DJ San Marco. I'm your host. Honored to be here with my co-host, the brilliant, the suave, the debonair, and the bearded Nathan at A Wave Soul. How are you, sir? Good. Good, sir. How are you? Uh, dude, I'm doing great, man, because I got some of my boys here. So let's start off with the star of YouTube, the F-16 pilot. He's living in Portugal. He's doing big things. He's beating down Mick West with a stick. Party people, put your hands together for Chris Leto! Woo! I need a, I need a boom mic like you guys have. And now, and now the only man what do you have? that can tell you what a meathead I really am when flying, a man who was my classmate going through Combat Talent 2 school, the U.S. Air Force's own Mr. Troy Broskovich. Woo! Yes. Raise both those hands. Show you just went jogging, Troy. Yeah. Come on, yeah. Man. He's fit. He's ready for his PT test right now. Bring it on. Hey, if they, if they need me back, they just got a call. I'm ready to go. Dude, I was the same way I got to Hurlburt. I'm like, yeah, if you guys need me back. I can go. Do, I'll be ready for my PT test in two weeks. Let's go. <laughs> so I still, I still feel that way if I had to go back. Uh, and it's been three and a half years. So anyway, welcome, guys. Uh, let me turn it over to somebody uh, who's a little smarter, slightly better looking than I am, but I could work <laughs> on that. Uh, Nathan, you got it, sir. All right. Yes, we are super excited to have you guys on the show with us today. Uh, just a quick background on each of you that I did uh, some Google search on. So if I get it wrong, it's not my fault. It's what the Internet told me. So, Chris, you're a retired F-16 uh, Air Force pilot. Uh, you're also an author. Which I don't know if a lot of people know, but you've written a couple books. Is that right? Two or three? Two and um, a half. Two and a half. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. One on the way. And your m most recent sort of initiative is a uh, YouTube content creator and uh, really made a name for yourself in uh, the UFO community, analyzing videos from a pilot perspective. So that's uh, great to have you on the show with us. Great to be here. And then uh, we've got DJ, of course, my co-host is a former AFSOC flight engineer, uh, a lot of time in the air and an all around good human being. And great to have you on the show as always uh, with us. And then lastly, our special guest, uh, who's new to all of this uh, sort of stuff, uh, but we are really, really glad to have him with us. Uh, that is Troy Broskovitz. And Troy, you are also retired Air Force, a uh, special operations pilot, a long career uh, with uh, special operations, including some time with JSOC. Is that correct? Yeah, pr pretty much. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> I, I read excellent. a few books. I definitely can't write any. And I've said throughout my whole career, I've always worked with amazing people. I'm definitely not one of them. And uh, I think, I think, uh, you know, having Chris right up there again proves that, uh, you know, I'm just sitting working with amazing people. I'm definitely not one of them. So, well, we are, he is one of them actually, but 
So I'll debate that point, but go ahead. Yes, we are definitely honored to have all of you guys with us. So the purpose of today's show, it's the, called The Flight Show. And why are we doing a flight show? I think the, the purpose of that is to uh, give our listeners a good sense of what it takes, what it's like uh, to, be, uh, to be a pilot. You know, it, particularly from the Air Force perspective, since that's kind of the background that all of you have. Uh, what is it like becoming a pilot? What is it like uh, being in the pilot culture? What kind of experience and depth of experience do most pilots have by the time they retire? And we're going to get into other topics like uh, identifying objects in the sky, being able to identify objects on the ground, uh, you know, what it takes to be a trained observer, uh, as well as culture, uh, being very mission oriented, uh, objective oriented. How does that play into what everything that you do? Uh, and, and how does that play into the way in which you relate to one another when you're on mission or even off mission? So excited to get into some of that, that, that stuff. So why don't we start off with, um, and Chris, maybe you can start us off with this one. Um, how do most uh, folks who become a pilot in the Air Force, like how, how do they get started on that journey? Where, where does it usually begin for folks? I, don't, I mean, most of my friends, I think they had a dream, you know, when they were growing up, they just loved planes. You know, they, they went to air shows or their parents were in the military or they just, they liked flying. Um, and, and so they, it, there's a couple of different ways to get there, uh, but in the air force, at least U S air force, you have to be an officer to, to fly, right? They, we do have enlisted, um, you know, drone operators, et cetera. Um, but at, at least when I was going through, um, you had to be an officer. So you had to get your commission somehow, uh, there's different ways to do that. So you can go, I went to air force Academy, which is, um, you, you know, basically a thousand people a year would graduate, but you need more than a thousand officers. So there's, there's other ways as well. So ROTC scholarships, uh, and then that, you know, that's basically at your normal university, but then you have OTS. So any, you know, anyone with a college degree can sign up to be a pilot. You know, I have a good friend. Uh, he actually had a photography degree from New York and he signed, you know, he walked into a recruiter's office and basically said, I want to be a fighter pilot. And they're like, that's impossible. You know? <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no. You know, they were like, Hey, sign up here. You know, you don't, you don't want to be a pilot. You know, you want to be a security forces. <laughs> and he said no uh wow. and yeah it worked i guess they needed pilots or i don't know what happened um so then from there uh you you know once you become a an, an officer which is kind of its own thing you need a degree you mm. need some sort of commissioning service then you can um put your name in the hat essentially to go to pilot training mm. uh, and that's the air force academies it it gets at least when i was going through again it, it got the first slots so you know those mm. first I think 700 people graduated with me at, at, in class of 2000. Uh, if they wanted, they could go to pilot training, you know, if they had like the medical requirements made. Mm. Um, and, and actually eyesight's not, a, it's not a huge one. My, my roommate the whole time, he was like, he always wanted to be a pilot and he had, but he had terrible eyesight, you know, just thick glasses. So he just got it out of his brain that he could be a pilot. Mm -hmm. And then when he, when, right when we went to, went to graduate, they changed the rules. They were like, we need more pilots, you know? So then they lowered the, the requirement. Hmm. Um, but he didn't go actually, that was a, a mistake he made. He regretted it later, except for <laughs> color, right? If you're colorblind, okay. pretty much out, you know, and I think 25% of 25% of men are colorblind. So that's probably mm. the bigger one. You know, most stories I've heard, they were like, you know, people were like, Hey, I was going to go for sure. I had everything, my name in the hat to be a pilot. Uh, but I was colorblind, you know, and that's mm. probably the biggest stopping thing. I think if you're colorblind, you know, there's not much, not much you can do. Gotcha. Well, I, I had color blindness, but they did a test where you could say red, green, amber at a distance. And if you could do that, you could be technically colorblind by those books, but still pass. So that's how I got into aviation was from that, hmm. uh, that I passed that red. I could tell red, green and uh, amber all day long. So you must have been a terrible maintenance. 
Yeah. Terrible that, maintenance for, for them to get rid of you to the engineer school, huh? <laughs> yeah, it was rough, man. It was definitely rough. They, I'm sure they really missed me. <laughs> like, oh, that guy sucks anyway. Let him go far. Well, and so, Troy, what, what about your experience? Was it similar to Chris's? I know you didn't do the Air Force Academy. You went a different yeah. route. So do you talk about that? Chris Chris lost me when he said he wrote books. No, I mean, <laughs> every everything he said was was true. I, I think for, for, for me... Um, yeah, I didn't go to the academy, but for whatever reason, I just, I, uh, I felt like I wanted to be in the military and I wanted mm. to be an engineer. I don't know why. Um, so, so that was my initial kind of motivation. I got an uh-huh. ROTC scholarship. Uh, he is a nerd. Secret nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for engineering. <clears throat> and then mm. I think when I got around a group of people, um, I kind of, I kind of drew some, you know, motivation, maybe some courage to get outside the box a little bit and realize, mm-hmm. Hey, this is something I could do, right. The air force mm-hmm. flies planes. Why would you want to do anything else if you can do that? Um, but, but I think of the family I grew up in, not that they didn't support me. I think it was just hard to kind of dream like that. Right. Nobody was an officer in my family. Nobody besides my sister graduated from college. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was around some like-minded people that was like, Hey, you know, here's kind of some of the goals you need to set over the next four or five years. And you, know, you might be able to be a pioneer force. So I really changed gears there. I, I still have a engineering degree. I, I did that, but, uh, but I would just say, you know, uh, you, you know, being here at uh, you know, major airline now, um, you know, I hear a lot of people say, Oh man, I want to be in the air force or the Navy, but, but I couldn't for whatever reason, or they didn't, mm. I would just, you know, if anybody's listening, I would say don't join the military to be a pilot. Make sure you join to be a, a leader, an officer, something because you never know what could happen. You could you could wash out, you could have a have an injury. Lots mm. of things could happen to where, hey, you can't fly it. Are you still ready to serve for four to six, ten years or whatever? Right. So mm-hmm. um, if you just truly want to be a pilot, you don't want the other the other stuff, well, there's other paths to becoming a pilot and, and maybe you should seriously consider it. I would just throw that out there. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and DJ, anything you would add to the, to this conversation, kind of ha- get, getting started on the aviation journey in the Air Force? Well, mine was a little different because I was enlisted, so there was only one spot in the flight deck for an enlisted aviator. And when I hmm. saw that, I was actually a fighter engine mechanic when I started. I was an F-15 hmm. engine mechanic. And due to my mother's uh, health with cancer, I had to get stationed the closest base I could get uh, after Homestead was leveled by a hurricane was they had C-130s. And mm. I saw an enlisted guy go up in the flight deck and sit in that middle seat. And I was like, well, I want to do that. So he, I said, nice. you're a flyer? And he said, yeah. I was like, okay. I didn't know there was such a thing as enlisted aviation. So I said, what's your job? He said, flight engineer. So he told me about it and I applied and I didn't get it right away. So I went and got my pilot's license. Mm. So there I am on the base. I'm in the aero club. I'm flying. I'm loving it. I'm just loving navigating and communicating and, and landing the airplane. It's just awesome. And then, um, I applied for flight engineer. They said, you need to make staff sergeant first. So I made staff, I applied again. And then, um, basically I, I think I had to go and turn in, uh, I needed a boost on my package because a lot of people, their performance report was firewalled to, you know, outstanding everything. And I didn't Mm. have that, which was common in maintenance. You know, not everybody is, firewall particularly if you're not willing to you know do Mm. that stuff Mm -hmm. so i went and uh, met with a senior enlisted aviator and i said look i got an aircraft mechanic license i got a pilot license i love this stuff i'll do you proud and the next duty day i got a call you got a slot in flight engineer school and nice went there and uh, got that 
and did flew for two years of C-130s. And then uh, there was this thing about flying combat talent twos. And that's how I got into a school. When I showed up in July, there was Troy wow. uh, as my classmate. And then you'll kind of hear the difference how Chris, you know, went to UPT and eventually got F-16s. But then he goes through as a single aviator, whereas we go through as a crew mm-hmm. through, through school. Okay. No, that's great. Um, excellent. Well, I love the fact that you each kind of have a little different, different of a journey, uh, in your flight career. Uh, did, did it match up to your expectations? So once you kind of started getting into it, uh, and really getting your hands on, uh, into flight, did it really kind of line up with what you thought it would be? Uh, was it better or worse than what you thought it would be? I don't know. Chris, you want to take that? I, I don't know. I don't know what expectations I had. Um, it, I would say pilot training was extremely hard. I mean, mm. it's, yeah, it's, I, I went to Navy training actually. So a little different. Mm. Um, okay. I didn't go to, you know, fly tweets. Did you fly tweets? I did. Yeah. 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 So that's the T-37. They've, mm. they've replaced it. You know, I, ne- I never flew that. That's your basic trainer in, the, in okay. the U.S. Air Force or was. Now it's, now it's the T-6. Um, but I w- actually went to Navy training. And, so I didn't fly. Uh, with the Air Force, but the Air Force training is just like hardcore hazing. Mm. I mean, you're getting yelled at standing in the center. Um, I'm sure people are traumatized from it, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> what was your what was your experience, Troy? I mean, is that? Yeah, that I mean, wrap it up? I tell you what, I, I flew twice before college as a passenger. And then I got like 40 hours while I was in college. Once I got the pilot slot, they they started a program where they wanted you to fly a little bit. That wasn't any good. I didn't know what I was doing. Had low SA. I mean, some of these kids come out of the academy. I mean, they had all these lighter hours. And uh, yeah. I mean, the kid was like, you know, this one guy, great, great dude, too. He's like, I want to be an F 15 pilot. And he was, he's the best dude out there, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, man, I am out of my league. So yeah, it was very challenging. Um, I think having an engineering background or a technical background, college kind of taught me how to study and how to just grind. Mm-hmm. And for no other reason than not quitting, right? Like you just memorize yeah. what you need to memorize and eventually your hands kind of catch up a little bit. <laughs> right. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a challenge. Then I would say that as I progressed through a little bit and got to the MCU and 30, it, 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 the culture changed and we can get into that a little bit later, but, uh, yeah, that first year, uh, was very challenging. I, you know, I forget, I think probably after maybe like the contact phase of T-37s, I realized like, Hey, I, I think I could do this. Right. But it was, it was studying hard Sunday through Thursday, going out to the club with, with the class on Friday mm-hmm. and let loose a little bit. Right. And then mm-hmm. go right back to the grind on Saturday night or well, definitely Sunday morning. Right. Um, and if you don't do that, just like I, I noticed in college, you know, you're not, you're not going to make it, but if mm-hmm. you, if you grind it out, you ask questions, and you're proactive with, with like, you know, Hey, I don't understand this, right. I need help. Uh, I mm-hmm. think you can do just about anything you want in your life. So it's not Absolutely. impossible. Tons, so of, how much you, tons of dudes make it right. Like there's thousands and thousands of air force pilots. Right. I mean, right. So it's, you can do it. Yeah. They need pilots. I mean, they, they want you mm. to succeed, you know, they just don't want you to succeed and then crash into someone else, you know, mm-hmm. and then, right. and then the, you're, you know, that blood is on their hands. Cause they, they didn't, they didn't fail you when they should have, you know? Yeah. So, right. I mean, and clearly they're good at churning out pilots. So it, I think there may be, a, there's a misconception, at least as a civilian, maybe I have this misconception that some people are just naturally gifted and they, you know, and then when they get into the the flight chair, you know, that 
they're going to pick it up right away and it's going to be no, no problem. But how much of it is that in the books kind of training and just kind of le learning the systems and it does, does the, does the physicality of it and the sort of new way in which you're navigating the air as opposed to walking on two legs. I mean, how does that, how does your perception kind of shift to where you, you it all kind of clicks into place? Uh, I I, it's got to be totally different, right? Yeah, go ahead. What, what's your case? I, I, you know, I think, I think maybe initially it's 70, 80% mental, I, I think, because mm -hmm. if you can't stand up and go through emergency procedures or have the right things memorized, you're not going to fly to start with. Um, no. There's a lot of, you know, we can get into like uh, how DJ and I grew up. There, there's a lot of mission planning before a flight in the MC-130. And it's so different in the very first phase of pilot training. Like, there's a lot of prep. There's a lot of cheer flying. I would say, I don't know, Chris, what do you think? Like two to one, three to one, like you fly like a one hour sortie. I mean, you're putting in hours and hours of trying to fly that profile. And you know, if you've got no air experience at all, I mean, there's radio calls you have to make you know, you got to start the engines and taxi the damn thing to the end of the runway. Right. Like <laughs> you take these things for granted now, but mm. I mean, just, just that in itself, right. Running through all the, all the checks before you even crank that engine is like, uh, you know, hardest thing to learn, you know, then, then eventually just clicks that's automatic. And then the next thing becomes automatic, but then mm -hmm. what do they throw at you then? Probably like fighter fundamentals, right. Or, or put a bomb down. Like there's just always these graduate level yeah. things you need to keep learning. I remember I was in a C12. So I did the second half was in the Navy program. Right. Mm -hmm. We're doing like steep turns in the C12, nothing that hard. And me and my buddy are getting it. We're feeling pretty good about ourselves. Right. And uh, the Navy instructor, he, he, he kind of hits us on the shoulder. He's like, Hey, look, dude, we haven't even given you a mission yet. Yeah. Just think about how, just think about how, how easy flying is going to get at some point. Right. Because we're not teaching you to fly, to go have fun. Right. We're going to mm. ask you to do something with this, with this mm -hmm. thing. Right. They kind of click like, yeah, man, I can't wait for that. Mm -hmm. But I, but I got to get these fundamentals down first. Right. So mm. um, there's yeah, a lot. You need both. There's a minimum level of, of, uh, mm. you know, hands i guess what you would call it like physically controlling the plane you know mm -hmm. you, you need a minimum you need to be able to do these certain maneuvers you know you need to be able to safely land it you know you need to be able to safely uh fly in formation you need to be able to safely do these other maneuvers um that they're talking about to a minimum level right and mm -hmm. that and it gets high so fighters if you're going to go the fighter track that needs to be much higher than like he mentioned the the c12 or you know if it's a cargo plane or a it, it you don't need it's much slower Mm -hmm. uh the 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 uh, margins for error are much higher mm -hmm. so you don't need like the best hands right um but you need to know all the regulations all the procedures all the rules all the systems down pat you know uh i guess i'd relate it my buddy uh so i have a good friend or uh, anyway we went through pilot training rajachari uh he's an astronaut now he's in the artemis program oh cool rajachari yeah he's amazing he's the only guy i've ever met through my whole career um, that he was really like the guy, you know, you're like, mm. okay, he's going to be an astronaut. Like we all knew right. we're like, he's going to be an astronaut and a great guy too. You know, mm. I think that's the, the worst part thing. about, that's the worst yeah. part about those guys, right? <laughs> yeah. They got to be nice on top of that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I always help you out. Give and, me something know, to dislike like, here. <laughs> come on. I, I want to hate you for something. <laughs> he, he had nothing. Dude, he's just a great guy. He really is just a super nice guy. Funny. You know, he's not mm. arrogant or anything. He was number one at the Academy, you know, and then he went to MIT after first master's. He was number one there. Mm. You know, he was distinguished graduate in our class. You know, he's, he didn't miss I don't think I, I don't think he missed a question in pilot training, Troy, not one. 
Uh, wow. I don't know. Anyway, insane. We take a yeah. test every week. He's the only guy I've seen that really um, was head and shoulders above everybody. But mm. he, he was there. He, he, he wasn't. I actually flew with him on my final check ride, and I beat him. I was better with him uh, actually flying the plane physically. Mm. Um, you know, just had better hands or whatever. But I, you couldn't touch him at all mentally. You know, he was just always studying. He like he had a he had his book like this. You know. And whenever we'd be just like BSing or screwing off or something, you know, he's just over there like reading like this, you know, the regulation just line by line. That's how he would do it. Um, and then we'd say something to him, you know, you're always going to study, you know, and he's like, ah, make some joke, you know. And yes, he did, you know. Wow. So now he's on the Artemis program. Um, so like you said, Troy, I, m people just don't raise their hands, man. I've, I've met so many people through my life, you know, and they're like, Oh, you're a fighter pilot. Oh man, I always want to be a fighter pilot, you know. And I'm like, did you apply? You know, like, don't tell me that, <laughs> you know. I, but some people were like, yeah, I applied, you know. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh okay. And I had, I was colorblind, you know. And then I'm like, all right, that sucks, man. You know, you're colorblind. There's nothing. Um, but like you said, Troy, it's so mental. Um, mm. Like literally, it won't happen unless you apply. You know, it's like like anything else. You know, what did every single YouTuber ever do? Like they published a video. You know, like. <laughs> Right. You're not going to. Yeah. I've every got, single pilot. Yeah. I've got apply. some kids that are entering high school. Yeah. I've got kids that are entering high school. Right. And it's, hey, just one one day, one step, one AP course. Right. Like, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, at some point, right. You want to, you want to be a fighter pilot or whatever. And you're itching to get out of high school. And it's like, well, if you don't get the top 10%, if you don't get that academy nomination, if you don't, you, you, you know, like if you're a junior, sophomore, like what you do in high school, how you apply yourself, it really matters because mm -hmm. that's setting the groundwork for what you do in college, what you do in pilot training. And it's not just doing excellent work. It's the, it's the, the grind that you're learning work how to ethic. do and get through. Yeah. It's the work ethic. Right. So, um, yeah, this stuff, yeah, these, and, are, these are big tasks. Even then, right? Yeah. Even then don't, you know, it's not worth giving up, you know, like my buddy no. that just walked into the, I'm sure he had long hair too. You know, he just walked into the, <laughs> To the office um you know it, one thing is not giving up right if you just do the same yeah. thing every day yeah. even if it's just like 20 minutes every day after five years you're going to be really good at that whatever it is you know yeah. sure that's right but, but everyone gives up they're like yeah i'm gonna do this you know and then they do it for like a couple weeks and it's like okay um, you know and then they quit you know or right. they or they mess it up or they get punched in the face doing something mm. you know they fail and then they quit you know so how does yeah, that uh sorry go ahead no, no, go ahead. Well, I, I guess I'm curious to know from from you guys. Like, so how does it, by the time they get through all of those steps and and they've they put in the hard work, um, what kind of people do they become? Like, what 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 what, are, what is it like with your peers uh, when you're sort of focusing on a mission? Or, I mean, it sounds like to me um, these are folks that have demonstrated through practical effort, you know, that they can accomplish something, and they and they've developed that kind of discipline. And so what kind of cultural environment does that create when, when they get through that gauntlet, you know, what kind of people do you run into and, and do those personalities, like, how do you ensure that you don't just like run over each other? You know, like how, how do you get along in that kind of environment with people that have become so accomplished? What do you think, Troy? I don't... Well, I mean, you're on the crew. We, we had a, well, I mean, in, in pilot training, we had a, we had a flight that was really close. Um, so, you know, just like, you know, it's still a slice of life, right? You got your alpha, your alphas and the ones that would rather follow you, you know, Hey, this guy's going to go to this bar and everybody's going to follow him right on Saturday mm -hmm. night. And we're all going to have a great time. We all just kind of fit 
fit mm -hmm. within it. Otherwise, I guess you kind of get thrown out, right? But everybody wants to be part of a team, a tribe, something, right? So everybody sure. just falls in. Um, I would say once we started to separate, right? So you had guys that went T-38s, they're going to become fighter pilots, bomber pilots. I went to C-12s because I wanted to be in special operations. And, he, you know, our, our top stick or, or maybe the second guy or whatever, he wanted KC-10s. Hmm. You know, it's like, well, why do you want to do that? But that's what he wanted, right? And then as we, and, you know, then I had some Marines in my class too, you know, became like mm. Gober pilots and, and different things. Sometimes when you run into these guys two, three, four years later, those new tribes are part of, they've, they've changed, right? Hmm. You know, the, the F-15 guy, the Strike Eagle guy, you know, he's a meat eater and he's he's different than than the C-5 guy, definitely. Hmm. Even though maybe two years ago, you're in the same class, you, you know, but, but that's, that's normal and natural. Um, sure. I don't think anybody really runs over each other. I mean, I think those people are found out pretty quick if they're just out for themselves. So it's pretty, I had a pretty good positive uh, environment of people trying to help each other. And uh, I would say, you know, a few guys once in a while would be like, hey, you know, this guy's doing really well. Hey, what, what do you want to fly F-16s? We had, we had one guy who was always ask you, you know. Um, so some guys held, held their cards a little bit close to their chest, but mm -hmm. overall nobody nobody was, was, was mean or held things back. We were all really helpful. It was great. It was a great environment. Maybe not all of them were like that, but then as you start to specialize, those tribes are naturally different. I think those cultures mm -hmm. are different. And I think for a reason, um, so let me just let, let Nathan know. Um, and I'm, I'm a panelist today, so I'm not asking you guys questions, <laughs> but, uh, just, so these guys are talking about you're going through T 38s or, or what Chris, what did you fly with the Navy? Uh, T 34s. G34s and then yeah. um so you have that train then you go off to F16 school which I think he went to Luke Troy went off to Kirtland for his specialized training in MC130 so that's a whole nother stanza Layer. of the story mm. right exactly yeah it's basically right. a year yeah. yeah thank you I had to go to Little Rock first to do Oh that's right Little I forgot about that the which like, is a totally different Little Rock. totally yeah. different culture than MC130s yeah hugely mm. different yeah yeah yeah, I and guess total training is tw was two years for me. So I did a okay. Uh, yep. Well, plus six months for Navy, it was slower. <laughs> so it's two and a half. <laughs> yeah, uh, same same with me. Yeah, I would say um, for us, it, it's just so it, you kind of mentioned it, Troy. But there's no time for anything else. You mm. know that that's all you're doing. You know, you're there, like you said, you're studying Sunday morning all the way through. You know. Friday, you know, mid afternoon, evening, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you leave maybe it's seven, eight o'clock on Friday night. You know, that's when you're walking away and it's been at least 13, you know, 12 hour days, uh, minimum. So, mm. and then you, you do it again and that just continues. Right. You know, when I was at the Academy, you know, they're always like, well, when you get in the, in the real air force, you know, it's going to change or whatever. And it, and it, it did, but it was like more hardcore, you know, it's like mm. crunching in. So it's, it's just, I would say it's just super pressurized, you know, um, at least in the fighter world, man, it's just like, it's the same pressurized. So everybody kind of, um, you tend to align, you're on the same team. Um, mm. you know, if you imagine like whatever your name, name, your favorite sports team, it's like those guys, you know, they're, mm -hmm. that's all they eat and breathe that brand or whatever it is, you yeah. know, probably. Um, so I would say for us, it, yeah, that you really get specialized, you, you know, you notice really different traits and all the different, uh, you know, the fighters and I would n rarely interact with any of the cargo guys ever, mm. you know, we barely, barely interact with them. We're at different bases, you know, doing different missions. They're in a different, they're, they, they have a different whole 
cycle of where they're moving and everything. So interesting. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'd say the I'd say the same mostly because you guys weren't weren't awake at night, right? When it got dark, it just it was no flight time, you guys. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we flew at night, so it was a different thing. But what I was going to say, Nathan didn't ask me this question, but uh, but coming from uh, being uh, a maintenance troop, mm -hmm. which I was going off to flight engineer school, I can just tell you, start to finish, it changes your entire life. Like mm. you, the your entire life is now focused on one thing. The way you speak is different. The way that I would speak with colleagues in maintenance is one thing, and then I get around officers like Troy. You, you change the way you speak, uh, everything, your whole life changes. You're now living in these books. And I had to go through one school that was just for calculating takeoff and landing data of the airplane. They want you to mm -hmm. learn, can you calculate that you could land the airplane anywhere under any conditions and then take off anywhere and what all the data would be around cruise, climb, descend, so that when the pilot turns back, can we land on this dirt strip ABC that we've just got a frag for? Yes, we can. Or mm. no, we can't. And you've got the data to back it up. That school I almost rocked out of, you know, special ed's kid. So, you know, uh, it was very difficult. I failed a test there. And my instructor said, I don't think this guy is cut out to be a flight engineer. Mm. And then I got a meeting with the commander. So I put my blues on I march in there. And I told him, yes, sir, I have these credentials. I know I can do this. And he said, you know what? You're going to get a second chance. So you're back in training. Nice. And then uh, I got the most complex fixed wing airplane uh, tactical airlifter in the Air Force. So I guess I proved <laughs> him right. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I mean, but what a great illustration, right? Like, DJ, what yeah. you just said is, is it's just echoing what these guys have said. And that's that, you know, putting in the work and, and going after it is more important probably the most important factor than just sort of natural ability. And I think maybe a lot of folks have this conception that like, oh, I just need to be a, a certain type of person to begin with to do whatever it is. But it really is putting in those steps one after the other to accomplish that ultimate goal. Yeah. And I went to flight school that was, I needed to pass that school to go to flight school at Little Rock where mm. Troy also would have been. Uh, he was there a little after me. Um, but, uh, I had no problems in the flying part. I mean, I went through there, like, you know, I don't know that I was outstanding, but I never, I had no issues getting through flight school. And then I was just flying at little rock probably when Troy came through there. So nice. Hey, can I say hi to Rob, Rob? Warner? Hey, Rob. How's it going? Hey, Rob. We'll get a comment up there right. from Rob. Yeah, there we What's go. Up, hey, brother? Rob. <laughs> good to see you. Um, so it, it sounds like you go through, so you go through this general training, then you start kind of splitting off into specialized training. Um, and the specialization, it, it's not like you start from sort of ground zero, like you, you're building off of what you've already uh, learned, but you're adapting to sort of new approaches to flying or new skill sets with flying or, you know, kind of there's the basics, right? And then there's the peripheral things that get stacked onto that basic foundation. Um, when it comes to, uh, Chris, like your experience as a fighter pilot and Troy with the, with the 130s and what, and, and the op special operations flying, like how, how much additional, um, how many additional layers are kind of stacked onto that overall knowledge? You know, by the time you become a trusted person that they can send out to do X, Y, Z. Trusted. Trusted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess officially it would be when you're a uh, mission qualified wingman, mm, right? So okay. you get out into the 
into the Air Force. So like we mentioned about two years for training. So I went to Navy training for, for six months for the T-34. That's like your basic, you know, it's just a single propeller plane. You know, here's how you land. Here's how you take off some basic mm -hmm. formation. Uh, and then that's where we split. Troy went to, he went the, the cargo route. Uh, which is the C20, what is it? What was it, T44? T T44s and C12s C40s. at the time. Mm. <clears throat> okay, yeah. yeah, so well, he they were learning that as a crew aircraft, right? So they're learning okay. co-pilot, pilot, pilot uh, different, it's different um, procedures and everything. Bigger plane, right? So it's mm -hmm. many ways more difficult to land. So then I went T38s, like you mentioned, and that's that plane model I keep using. Uh, I'll just grab it right over here uh, in a second, sorry. Of course, right. Yeah. I can't believe I had it over there. I'm going to fight our guys for that. <laughs> this yeah. bank's off screen. There it is. Yep. This is my best. This is my only trophy, actually, I keep, actually. I think nice. this is when I beat because I beat Raja. That's why. Because he's a, he's, a, uh, <laughs> nice. he's an astronaut. I'm like, bragging rights. Yep. <laughs> yeah. He won every. He was DG, distinguished graduate of everything, MIT, but he didn't win this award. He didn't win this award. <laughs> Love it. But that's so T38, and then uh, it's it's single seat, right? The guy, you know, in the front, and then there's like this guy in the back just breathing on you. You know, you just hear him breathing. Mm. It smells bad. Uh, <laughs> and then from there, based on your what you you know how well you do your rank, and then like Troy was saying, hey, do you, you know, do you want F16s? How many spots they have, they match you to a spot, and then um, so from there, it's probably another. Uh, then you have to, you just know how to basically fly, but you don't know you don't know how to fight. Yeah. Uh, and 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 so that's what fighters have to learn. If you go the fighter route, you have to learn how to, to actually fight. Uh, and then Troy, he has to learn for how to do like tactical infills and do all these crazy you know night uh, low level flights or whatever crazy stuff they do. I don't even know about. So mm. totally different mission sets. Mm -hmm. um, but you you know safe, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, and then it gets to, you know, a fully qualified instructor, I think is your, is your best, you know, your, your weapon school graduate is your absolute top of the top, mm. you know, there you're going to be your most, um, competent, most proficient. They have the most hours, um, but there's very few of them. And then it mm. goes to your instructors, but that's, you know, five, 10 years down the road. Wow. Okay. So, Got it. Troy. That's too long. Yeah, no, I, I tell you what, like, I, I think about all the, all the different stages, right. And, you know, you start to feel pretty good You get your wings and then you go to little rock and you know, nothing about a C-130 at all. Right. And you're, mm. you're sweating again, you're grinding again, you get through that. And I go to MC-130H school in Kirtland and, uh, you know, you're excited and you know, nothing about that mission, <laughs> nothing about that airplane. And, you know, you got to remember too, this community is, uh, they rarely take new co-pilots out of, out of pilot training, right? It's usually, mm -hmm. it's usually a pilot that has been in the regular C-130 community for three, four or five years. And they're aircraft commanders at that point, not co-pilots. Okay. So once in a while you get a young load master, a young navigator or a young co-pilot, mm -hmm. right? So I have to be one of those. Um, and what was fun about what was different, like the shift that occurred there was these mm -hmm. guys, wanted you to succeed and they wanted to teach you about the talent tradition which started in north vietnam flying missions mm -hmm. um and it started in desert one in iran in 1980 landing in the desert there and mm -hmm. actually some of our instructors were were on that mission they landed in iran so when i got there and i 
started to realize who I was around and the people I'd be working with, uh, man, I was, I was in heaven because it's like, this is where I want to be. Um, and now I just need to figure out how to fly this, this plane. Uh, but there's so many, so many requirements, right? DJ that we did that. Um, when do you feel good about it? I, I don't know. I'll tell you up to the day I retired. Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, like I spent, wow. I did a 60 day TDY. I, yeah. I left Okinawa. I went to Florida where our schoolhouse is at, you know, I'm, a, okay. I'm an instructor pilot. I was a former mm-hmm. evaluator pilot um, for 20 years in this plane, essentially. And in the hotel room, I'm like, okay, tomorrow I got to refuel some CV-22s and I got to go hit a tanker and the weather looks like crap and I got to do MVG low level with this student. And I'm looking at, you know, FARP. I'm like, okay, I haven't done forward air refueling in a long time. And I'm in the checklists and I'm in the, the Vol 3. I'm in our regs being like, eh, all right, here's here's the point. Here's this. I'm in early setting up the briefs and I've got students with me too, right? So I've got to be wow. in my game a little bit more than, than normal. So that's what I loved about the plane and the mission set was, you, you know, you don't know if you're going to land on a grass strip. You don't know if you're going to land uh, on a taxiway, you know, tomorrow, the mission might call for that. And mm-hmm. there's nothing better than running out to your plane, not be able to do some of your normal duties, but just getting the sea crank engines and the load master looks at you and he says, Hey, we're good back here. Don't even worry. You look at DJ he's like, the plane's good. You're good. And we can land at this place like this, like the, the plane is set. And you crank nice. and you go and you look at your watch, you're like, holy crap, man, that was fast. We got off fast, didn't we? <laughs> oh, yeah, we did. And, and wow. you're going. And you just look at your buds and you're like, man, if we weren't all good at, at what we do and had the mm. utmost faith and everybody else were doing their job and not need to get be backed up all the time, we mm. wouldn't be as quick as we would be. We wouldn't be as dynamic as we would be. And we wouldn't solve problems because some of these users, man, they want you to haul some crazy stuff, some heavy stuff. Mm. Um, or maybe something that the regulations really, they don't say you can't do it per se, mm-hmm. but our load masters, our engineers, man, they'll figure out how to put that on there. I mean, I remember we had in the back of the plane one time, we had rockets and little birds and we had so much crap back there. Mm. Uh, we're going down to Columbia because we had hostages down there. And I just, wow. I was looking around as a co-pilot, just like, this is awesome, man. This is <laughs> awesome. You know? Yeah. I originally I wanted to fly C-130s actually. Uh, and then I had this simulator instructor. He was an old Marine, like you said. And he was like, why the hell you want to fly those slow ass planes? You know, <laughs> like, it's like, you want to fly fast and blow shit up. And I was yeah, like, yeah, four miles right, a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what though, my first DJ, yeah. you were on this flight with me, DJ. Uh, so at Kirtland, right? <laughs> MC 130s, we get through the instrument qual phase, right? So that's basically, Hey, can I fly an airplane in instrument weather? And that's probably right. The basic building block you need. And then you get into the tactical stuff. And uh, I'm a new co-pilot. I barely have any hours in a C-130. And that night we were in weather, train following at 250 feet. I got a, a ridge line off my right wing, bro, what, 200 feet off our right wing. And, you know, you, <laughs> and you're just into, you're just inching into this ridge line. And then later on in the sortie, we threat pen at 100 feet, right? Uh, yeah. over that spot. I'm just sitting there actually flying it because in this plane, the co-pilot flew as much as a pilot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I can't believe they're letting me do this. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, on MVG, I, mean, I know what so I'm you're doing. Flying but... on, uh, you're using MVGs or you have a uh, radar? Or so both? for the threat pen, it's all visual. Mm. You, you've got an IDS. You got that, that FLIR that helps you. You do have uh, a forward-looking IR. Yeah. Yeah, but it's it's mostly mostly visual. Unless it's just so damn dark you can't see a horizon that you shouldn't be doing it anyways. But when you do, that yeah. IDS gives you a nice picture, right? So 
But you're but flying awesome. using night vision goggles, you know? So it, you flew on that a lot, MVGs? Yeah. Yep. And most guys, yeah. I think, DJ you to test. I did anyways. Even if I was doing instrument approach someplace, I had my MVGs on my head because, hey, whatever gave me the better picture. Mm -hmm. You know, hell with the rules. Whatever gave me the best picture is what I would use. Did mm. you guys have a heads-up display? Did you ever get one of those? No, the J, the MC 30 J does. Uh, yeah, it's got some nice toys and a heck of a lot more power. But the fun, the fun part though is really being on the radar. That was when so Chris it would be unfamiliar, but there's five people in the flight deck. So there's electronic hmm. warfare officer sitting on the bulkhead to the rear. There's a navigator to his or her left, and they're both navigators by trade, but one gets all the EWO beep and squeak training that you're familiar with from your training as well. And then you have the flight engineer sitting knee to elbow with these two guys. But when we're doing IMC on the radar, there was nothing that did it for me more than being IMC. NVGs are no good because all you're going to see is, is green fuzzy clouds. That's in, in the clouds. To, yeah. IMC mm -hmm. means uh, instrument conditions, instrument. Yeah. Okay. Like for, yeah. For Nathan, it. it means you can't see anything out the windscreen except <sighs> white. Freaky. Mm -hmm. And you're down at 250A, and you're looking at two different radar presentations. So one of them is going to paint the terrain one way, and you'll know I'm clear if my little aircraft in the middle of that screen is here, I'm mm -hmm. good. And mm -hmm. then the opposite screen, your either your ground map or your pencil ground map, will show it like the opposite way. Mm -hmm. And at first it sounds counterintuitive, but it's not. And then you're like, okay, I can look on two different radars and see that I'm clear. So the reason the whole thing with the five-person flight deck is Troy was trained in flight engineer stuff. He didn't have to rely 100% on me because he knew a lot of what my job was. I knew some of what his job was. The navigator, we both got trained in what the navigator's doing. We hmm. also got trained in what EWO was doing. Hmm. So when they're talking to the pilot, I understand all that conversation that's going on. Otherwise, you'd be like, yeah, I'm lost. Passenger right now. Mm -hmm. No, I'm just passenger. So yeah. you'd be evaluating everything the nav is saying to him. I'm, and I, I was particularly adept at that at the nav portion at low level, NVG and IMCTF. Those are my favorite things in all the Talon world. Um, so I was very intently listening on what they were saying, just in case he comes back and says he 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 didn't quite understand what the nav said. So mm -hmm. I might clarify. Mm -hmm. And say, Nab, you said X, right? Yeah, okay, Rog. We're... And then it's it's deadly silent until the next turn point. And then we mm -hmm. go through that process again. Yeah, right, DJ. That's a really good explanation, right? And then our whole purpose in life, right, is to get the loadmasters yes. at the right <laughs> okay. spot, right? <laughs> yes. The loadmasters yeah. back there with the SEALs or the SF, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're giving them time warnings so the guys can, you know, load up, start engines, start to take some straps off so we can land or airdrop. And then mm -hmm. get out of there and let them do their business, right? The whole, you know, it's so much fun that that whole crew flying, but at the end of the day, it's like, and if these loads masters, if we don't put them exactly where they need to be, like what the mm -hmm. hell is the whole point of doing five hours of low level, you know, in enemy territory. On, yeah. on a piece of sandy blacktop in the middle of Iraq, five, four, three, two, one, clear to offload. Yeah, wow. you got and it, man. Was, you're stopped on the runway. The ramp is about two inches above the deck throw the ramp down, they go driving off in whatever the hell kind of four wheel or two wheel vehicle and then clear the taxi and it's and you're gone. Wow. Yeah. And, 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 and all the work it took hours and hours mm. of prep the, the night before, if you wanted to do it well, right. To, and, and mm. to reduce hours. the risk, 
and to reduce yes. the risk to us was a lot of prep and you figuring out all the all the landing data in case we had to abort an, an infill or we picked up stuff there that was heavier than we thought because we got to know if we could land and take off and sometimes mm. you got to you got to know hey i can't accept this from you it's too heavy right <laughs> or we're all going to hit that ridge line together congratulations right mm. and then uh you know sometimes you get woke up and you've got no time to prepare but because you do it all the time you can play a pickup game sometimes and 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 hopefully flight safe right so mm. Took a lot of training, a lot of planning, and that's what I loved about it. That's why I never left the Air Force early to fly for the airlines or do anything else because I was like, I'm not a C5 guy. Nothing nothing against C5 mm -hmm. guys, but I do that now in the Airbus, right? Like, it's mm -hmm. it's great, but right now it's a paycheck, man. Before yeah. then in the Air Force, it was it was a lifestyle and a culture mm -hmm. and a brotherhood mm -hmm. that is just it was unbelievable for, for that's me. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I love hearing all of y'all stories, uh, the, the depth of technical experience that you've explained, um, for me at least, is brand new territory, you know, so all of it, if, when I come at this is kind of just purely from, a, oh, that's cool, they're pilots and, you know, they, they can fly airplanes. It really ends after that, you know, so, but to understand the layers yeah. of complexity uh, and, and training and, and learning that you go through to get to that point where it looks effortless, as you said, Troy, is, is amazing. I want to pivot real quickly to uh, talking a little bit about uh, when you're up in the air and you're, you're kind of navigating through that, uh, that, that environment, you know, so different than being on land, whether you're walking or driving or whatever, most people are familiar with, you know, how do you kind of come to train yourself to understand what it is that you're looking at? So you're not only looking at, uh, you know, sort of, I guess, weather, which is in the air and a lot of that, but you're also looking at other objects. Uh, you're looking at other planes uh, that, that are there of different uh, shapes and sizes. And, and sometimes you're looking at, I guess, uh, you know, missiles or wet weapons or what whatnot. So how do you, um, and maybe this is a good question for you to start off with, Chris, like how do you get to learn and understand and differentiate, you know, what it is that you're seeing in the sky uh, after you've gone through all this training. I guess uh, probably the biggest thing is we're always talking about um, sight pictures. Mm. I think it's um, what I've seen is it, like training any other neural network is basically <laughs> what we're doing. You know, you do it through simulators, you do it through chair flying. Mm. You know, that's a huge before we had amazing simulators. That's all we had, right? Was chair flying, and we still do it. Like Troy mentioned it a couple times. Like, um, and and just to finish your la your last question, there is, I guess I, I I never felt comfortable. The same thing Troy said. Mm. You know, when you feel comfortable, mm -hmm. and I was like, never. <laughs> you know, to be your last <laughs> flying. Yeah, I was yeah. all. I mean, every mission is. Uh, mm. Yeah, I'm studying. You know, I'm I'm looking in the books. You know, I'm thinking mm. about the night before. Um, you know, you're not. You're kind of sweating on every. I I was at least. I don't know. <laughs> different different environment. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just a, I never felt fully comfortable, mm. um, even, even at the end. Um, so yeah, so, so anyway, um, you're always studying and it's, it's about sight pictures, right? So, and, and cause it's so different, all the, the, the ranges that we're talking about are so much further than you're used to on the ground, just as humans. And, and really people do not look up, you know, I know everybody's like, I look up and I'm like, no, like I don't look up, you know, most people mm. don't look up. Uh, it's just not, it's not in our nature, you know, we're just, sure. you know, most, all of our threats up until recently were pretty much around here, you know, maybe from a hill or something. Mm -hmm. um, so it's all training site pictures. Um, that's, that's probably your biggest one. And, and the best way to do it is real, right? So mm -hmm. even, even on later missions, when we're going out to, if I haven't flown in a while, 
um, you know, I'll re-cage my eyes. So every day of the environment, they'll be a little bit different, you know? So like this, this will be like, you know, that'll be like 500 feet one day, you know, but then the next day for some reason it, it's like here. Mm. Um, so you're just constantly worrying about it, trying to cage your eyeballs. Okay. That's, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we're always shooting airliners, you know, simulated as the airliner is going by, <laughs> I'll lock, I'll lock them up. Jeez. You're, you're, yeah. <laughs> said that one more time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For fun, you know, I mean, yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, with no weapons, you know, every sure. time you just have five minutes, it, it's, it's never like, I guess, um, you see in Top Gun, you know, or, where they're mm -hmm. just like, all right, man, I'm going to be super tough and just win this. You know, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's like hours and months of tr just studying before mm. uh, and, and then being in the right spot to not fuck it up, you know, basically, mm -hmm. I guess that's, mm -hmm. um, that's how I'd put it. So, yeah. Site pictures, the best is uh, visually doing it for real. When we mm -hmm. can't do that, then we do it in a simulator, right? So you try and do that. We, we had a program where we were actually recording flights and then playing them back in a simulator for guys. That was one way mm -hmm. to teach uh, these site pictures. And then finally, it's just chair flying. You know, you just imagine like, what what would it look like? What's the pacing? Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that's a long roundabout answer normally. No, you, I, I, I answer that's questions. great. No thank, thank, no, thank you. Troy, and what, what about from your perspective on that? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine of flying at those speeds, those altitudes. I guess I kind of do now, but I've got mm -hmm. no threats. I've got no mission other than the ILS approach to uh, Indianapolis mm -hmm. and then eat my sandwich, right? But I think for me, right, my threats were eye level and below, mm -hmm. right? Terrain. Okay. Um, you know, flying with instructors asking questions. Hey, what do you think this looks like? You know, am I at 500 feet here? You know, uh, mm. no, you're at a thousand feet. Um, okay. Look at you. You've got other devices on the plane, right. To tell me, Hey, you're at a thousand feet. You're at 500 feet. You're too low. There might mm -hmm. be some warnings that go off if you're too low. So you use that to gauge your, you know, your, your low level distance off the ground. Right. Are those mm -hmm. kinds of things. Um, but I tell you like weather conditions make that more difficult. And Chris knows that mm. as well, right? If it's uh, hazy outside, if you only have three miles of viz, you tend to fly higher because you're like, well, I don't want to be too close to the terrain, but actually you want to get lower. So the mm. terrain is, has got some more detail to it. So you can, you can see it and then you can see the hidden stuff that's coming. I now picture doing this at night without a moon. And now you really can't see, you can get hidden ridge lines and things like this as well. Right. But I've got, mm. uh, a lot of good electronic devices to help me see that picture. And it might be a radar that I have to learn how to interpret into a kind of a three-dimensional picture, right? Yeah. I got a navigator who's a hell of a lot better at looking at a radar than I am. So he's helping me. Mm -hmm. I've got a flight engineer who's on NVGs as well, you know, and then I'm communicating to the crew, right? If I'm flying saying, Hey, give me that, give me the highest piece of terrain. Hey, it's at uh, six miles, two o'clock. Okay. I'm not visual with that. All right. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to climb a little bit or, or maybe I don't have to yet. And then I'm going to let him know and I've got that in sight. All right. What's the next one? Hey, uh, you know, DJ might speak up. Hey man, I see, I see a ridge line. It looks like it's about two miles. Yeah. 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 I got that. Okay. So it's a, it's a big crew. Mm. Uh, it's a big crew thing. You know, all of us are looking at our different devices, trying to pick up that terrain mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and see that I had no threats from the air that I was too worried about. Right. Like I hope a guy like Chris from Afghanistan, you know, is in that Afghani or Taliban air force early as it looked for me. I think Chris mm -hmm. probably would have shot him down before he got airborne anyways, but that wasn't as big of a threat to us. So I didn't really have to ID too much. 
above you know yeah. miles out in the distance a tanker once you look for right? missiles i guess how did how did you guys look for uh missile launches or i had an evo with with a suite right um yeah. if i ever got into a visual fight with you guys sure we're, we're outside a lot more but the load masters are scanned a lot more the number two is going to sneak up on you anyways right oh and i'm in the middle of the day with all my stuff out over the water so it's pretty easy for you to find me anyway so we didn't yeah. take that too seriously besides just having fun with it but uh you know, maybe a tanker, a helicopter is hard as heck to find, especially the little ones, right, DJ? Mm. When when they're they're against a dark, maybe built up area, and they've got one mm -hmm. light on or something like that, and they're really hard to see. So again, it's electronically you're finding these 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 things, right? Uh, picking out a touchdown zone is really important. Otherwise, mm. who knows where you're going to land on that LZ, or you might have the wrong spot picked out, right? I know mm. the nav is is doing his level best to get me exactly where I want to be, but I still have to be visual at the touchdown point. If you're talking a dirt on dirt runway, sometimes you don't see that until <laughs> very close, right? I mean, <laughs> very close before you see. You might see it on the IDS on the FLIR. You might see it really good, so you know, man, my flight path vector. I'm going right at it, yeah. but mm. visually, right? That's something I did as a pilot saying. I've got to, like, I positively told the crew I've got the zone in sight. So, so they knew, okay, well, and so what's the craziest, uh, what's the craziest mm. field you've landed on or uh, what was the craziest landing experience? Cause C-130s, that's your crazy, they do crazy stuff. I, I was an exchange pilot with the uh, Royal Air Force in their, what they called their special forces flight. And so our regs were way different than the U.S. Air Forces. So I've landed on some really narrow stuff 40 foot wide there dj and then uh it's always you know the sf guys tuck these things into a ridge line that just you know it's got all these turbies at about 100 feet i hated going in there um because you'd pick up a big tailwind or you'd kind of balloon right at the last minute it was really narrow mm -hmm. and then it's uh usually middle of the day too i don't know why how we always did that right so they've got to close a highway down so it's just and then if I landed a certain direction, I couldn't turn around. It was too narrow. So I had to reverse and now my engines are heating up and I'm just, I got this huge dust cloud and this huge magnet, right. For borders or something. I, and I'm not a good pilot, right. I don't have great hands. Like, like you said, there's a min standard, right. I could do all the stuff and do it safely. Um, but it was just a challenge, man. I worried about going into that spot. Um, yeah. I could tell you, like for us, what the way we mitigate is uh, I'd be like what they call a high rider with the NVGs, what Chris was asking. Mm. So I'd ride with my NVGs really high so I could just tilt my head. Mm. I could see the train. I could look down, see the radar, see all the radar displays. Because they, they, these guys, the pilots each had two displays. Mm -hmm. And one would have one radar up and an ADI. And the other one would have the other radar up and the ADI. And then I could have the stick map underneath, underneath that radar and all that, mm. right? So what I would do is I'd scan the terrain. If I'm not getting anything good, I'm down looking at the radar, picking out which ones give me the ne the best picture, listening to what those two are saying, and then come back, take a look. But I could do it all without moving the MVG. Just by tilting hmm. my head, I could see through, and then I could also stay in touch with everything that was going on on the panel. Then every now and again, make sure the fuels are balanced and uh, stuff like And I also talk about stuff. I was one of these guys. We could be at the... BTDY, we could be on a mission somewhere where we're going to go do train wherever the nicest place in the world. I'd, I'd bring all my, my toll data materials back to the hotel. And before I even went anywhere, I was calculating the next day. Okay. It's going to be about this hot. Um, we're going to expecting, uh, it will be about this heavy, but I got to go 10,000 up and 
a few thousand down from that, 5,000 down, and I'm going to make sure I got data for no matter what comes up tomorrow. When I step, I'm ready. Mm. I, I might change it when I get to the airplane based on current conditions, mm -hmm. but I've got at least something working that if we have to push to the aircraft, I got something. And then I could just adjust and shit. Yep. When you land on real, like some of these places out in the middle of the desert, well, okay, what's the real-time data there? I have no weather reporting unless there's combat controller giving it to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the what the temp. So what I would do is I'd wait till we're about 100 feet off the deck. I'd take, I'd get the uh, pressure altitude off the screen that they had and the temperature before the airplane stops and the real calculate toll. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, I'm good. I know my temp and my PA right now. And, and I'm good just in case what I calculated was wrong and mm -hmm. we're going to have to get that close or we're not going to make the end of the runway. Mm. And that'll happen if you're taking off somewhere like 7,000, you know, you went to Bogger, imagine like, places like over 7,000 feet there, you could get in, in a big hurry, especially if there's a slope and all that stuff. So that's wow. how yeah, we I need 8,000 feet to land 8,000 feet long runway. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. We do and like it has to be like feet. perfectly straight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Pristine. <laughs> yeah. And, and typically what would happen, Chris, with the C-130 guys is when we would get in a C-130 guy and Troy will tell you this, We'd put them in the aircraft. We'd get on them on the TF radar. We'd get down to a thousand feet and we'd go, okay. So that's kind of their normal low level altitude. And we'll be like, okay, we're going to set 500 as our set clearance plane. So they'd come down and they might get a little shaky. Then when we set 250, they'd be riding high. They'd be up near 400 and the queues and be like, get on the queue, like push, push down, get down on the, remember that Troy? <laughs> 250 yeah. so you're talking 250 AGO right above the ground 258 mm. but yeah you're just following you just put your flight path vector inside a, another circle right so it's like mm. a video game so usually I kept my MVGs down it could be distracting mm. if the if you're going in and out of the weather I usually just kind of sat down a little bit lower in my seat and just played a video game and just pretended like everything is gonna be okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> fine in the clouds man fine don't, in the don't show don't show you're weak just stay on that but Troy, did you remember guys coming in on slicks that would didn't want to get on the queue? They kept would riding high on the queue, and the instructor would tell them get on the queue. I remember that very. Yeah, I mean, like Chris said, you did too. I mean, like my last assignment there when I was flying. I mean, even I had trouble sometimes. You know, where it's like, man, you just see you're in the weather and you feel like you're going too fast because of the noise the plane is making. You're not, hmm. and you just. You know, you just don't want to push over like maybe you used to when you're younger, you know, like, Scary. like, like proficiency is everything, right? These skills are perishable, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. you have to practice. And I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, like there are some months or after deployment, you're just like, man, I've got this thing licked, like checklists, yeah. like everything. Like we're just so bonded and you just buy mm -hmm. so much and then you get two weeks off or maybe you go to SOS, right? Or something. And now mm -hmm. you just are just like, oh gosh, like. I haven't been in the books because I've been doing other things and I'm not proficient at all. Right. But that's what instructors are yeah. for and, and, and crew and simulators. And hey, another thing just, I thought of as well, when you're talking like visual acuity and stuff, we had MVG. Mm. I don't know if you ever use these, Chris, uh, MVG, like a train uh, maps hmm. where they could change oh. the moon. Yeah. They could give you different, uh, you go to, so you go into a dark room with a train map, right. And it, yeah. would, it would have power lines on it and, and a lot of different things. Uh, they could cool. change uh the percentage of the moon illumination basically to wow. show you yeah hey, this is how a ridgeline can get hidden and you could be 
thinking you're clear of the one out at five miles, but there's one at two or three that, that you're going to hit, right? So they show you hmm. these things as well of, of how these illusions and different things can work. Fascinating. That's awesome. Um, well, if you guys don't mind, I mean, after hearing all that stuff, I think it's incredible. And I'd like to pivot again to uh, looking at some actual videos and getting your Woo! thoughts on uh, on some of this stuff. So uh, for some, most of you, except for you, Troy, so apologies in advance, this will be new to you. But uh, yeah. you know, these are some cool videos that uh, that show interesting things and just want to get, get some takes on it. So um, the first one that I'm going to put up on screen here, let me get that ready to go, is a... Uh, is a video that was shot by uh, some photographers, essentially. And um, and these guys were doing some dr drone photography in Beaver, Utah. Uh, this was in January of 2019. Uh, and they were really just out shooting some landscapes, basically. And then when they got back and processed their, uh, their video, their raw video, uh, they saw something that was pretty strange. So what I'm gonna do is put that on screen and uh, and we'll do the audio a little bit and we probably won't do the whole uh, the whole clip, but we'll do enough of it for you to get a sense of like what it, what it is that they were seeing. So let me add this to, to the stream and uh, get the sound going here and we'll press start. And yeah, I, I'm curious what uh, speed you guys think this is going as well. Let me stop it right there. I think you guys saw the clip uh, a few times. Uh, so let's get some initial reactions. Uh, I know, Chris, you've got some detail on it, but I want to come back to you. Troy, what's your initial reaction to this to this video? You know, my initial reaction, because I have never seen anything personally abnormal, mm -hmm. is, well, if you want me to to think it's something other than what's explainable or that's not doctored, like I need, like, and I don't really even care, but if you told me like I had to believe, I'd, I'd be like, well, I need, I need somebody to kind of break it down for me, right? Explain to me why this isn't, uh, you know, because I've watched movies with dinosaurs in there and dinosaurs are extinct. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, that's right. No, that's a great point. No, that's a great not, point. not that I don't, not that I don't believe, but if you yeah. told me my life depended on it, then people would have to help me understand it. Absolutely. Because I definitely saw something strange, right? Right. Yeah. Can we assume it's not doctored, I guess, for the sake, you know, because um, I, they, has anyone actually analyzed it to show that it isn't doctored? 
from all that I've heard about this particular clip, it, it, it wasn't. Uh, they posted the raw video footage, which is the raw as a format. It's a it's a video format uh, that they took uh, from that day. So, you know, according to them and others that have looked at it more closely, there's there's no evidence of of doctoring that I'm aware of. Yeah. So we guess we can assume it's we'll just assume it's not Dr. Troy. I, I think it was 2016. Is that correct? I think they filmed it in um, 2016, but they didn't release okay. it until oh, maybe it was more uh, recent. 2019. Yeah. OK, I don't know. They didn't want to raise from what the guy said. I think he said he really didn't want he didn't know what kind of reaction it was going to get. He didn't want to raise suspicion or get I think have people from the government contact him about it something like that. So I'm just assuming that the, the, that the video is genuine just for the sake of the discussion and then take it from there. But I'm not asking anybody to believe anything. I get, I'll ask Troy is how far do you think that ridge line is? Can, can you see it? Uh, it where like it comes out of? I'd say 10 plus miles, right? Well, to the far line. But if you zoom in, it's just that first ridge. I don't know if you can control it, Nathan. Can you yeah, see, uh, see if I can go back uh... to the very beginning or where it zooms in, I think later in the video, maybe. Yeah, it, it looks in. like it looks like three maybe like four right miles here. to me, but I don't know. Uh, and he come he comes up to yeah, right there. So up. that if you look, Troy, it goes around that. Uh, yeah, yeah, right there. That looks pretty close. Around that that first ridge, the hidden ridge, yeah. I think. Yeah. So how far away do we think that might be? Probably that, what, uh, one to three miles, maybe that close finger. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I. I said more than one, but uh, yeah, I think you're right, less than three. Um, so I, if you time it, right, from when it basically turns that corner, it's less than a second till it goes out of frame, you know? So it basically turns there and goes out of a second. So you can basically say it's, it's going at least a, a mile in a second. Yeah, and I think I, I remember reading somewhere that it was about three miles uh, that they, they did the math on it. Um, yeah, I was trying to find the coordinates. I couldn't find the exact coordinates. But let's say you could find the coordinates of that ridge, and then you you just uh, go forward. But it's at least a mile, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the answer would be it's going at least a mile a second. Uh, so a mile a second um, is 60 miles a minute, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's Mach 6, or is it Mach 60? <laughs> it's fast yeah it's Dude. Mach uh, so 10 miles a minute is Mach 1 so 60 miles a minute is, is Mach 6 okay so if it's if it's not doctored um, and, and it looks like it's coming from that ridge if it, if it looks mm. what, like what it is then it's traveling at least Mach 6 and if it were 3 miles away that would be a three, 3 times, times multiple okay got it Yep. But it's, so it's not be... hypersonic, but it's it's damn fast. Well, that would be Mach 18. That would be hypersonic. Oh, um, okay. Wow. Uh, I think so, hypersonic uh, is five. I think hypersonic is Mach 5 plus. But I, and what, what is, um, sorry for my ignorance, what is supersonic? Or when do you break the, when do you get a sonic boom? What is... it, so it's, uh, it, yeah, it's based on the, the pressure and the temperature, the density of the air. Okay. Because um, it's a impact wave. Right. Uh, whatever the. Uh, I, I can't remember what that's called. But anyway, um, I looked it up just for this video. It's basically 1,000 feet per second uh, um, at sea level, 700 okay. and 750 miles per hour. 
but it goes down rapidly as the temperature and the pressure decreases. So as you go mm -hmm. up in altitude, mm -hmm. um, you know, the Mach number stays the same, but, but your miles per hour will, will decrease rapidly. So, um, so at this speed, would there would there have been a a sonic boom uh, if it were going without as a fast doubt? As, yeah. Yeah. So but, if you go so, Mach, and they said 1. that they didn't 0. hear anything. Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. Yeah. If you go Mach one point um, as far as we understand it, you know, you're pushing the the it's the pressure waves build up on each other, basically because you're going as fast as the sound that you're creating, right? Mm -hmm. If you're like running and you're yelling, <laughs> right? But you're yeah. going the speed of sound, the 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 noisy you're making is just gonna gonna stay in the same spot. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah. So that's that's what's happening with the sonic boom is is basically the noise that you're making is is catching up with the noise that you're making and it and it makes this this pressure wave. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's right at 1.0. So yeah, anything faster than 10 miles a minute, it, it should be should be breaking the sound barrier. Okay. And and what did you make of the? I mean, to me, it looks like it's doing a bank of some kind. Is that how you would interpret that? at the beginning of that when it kind of first appears in the video yeah i guess i saw there was a really good video done you shared it uh on the twitter uh where he talks about um parallax error mm -hmm. uh but basically yeah that video explains it right there yeah you see a definite turn yeah. there's a bank yeah or it would have yeah the, if he didn't make that it would have gone to the right of the 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 drone and uh, so does that make it seem as if it's kind of coming down into the valley if it, it, that's what it looks like to me wow okay. that's like what fravor described as basically what we're looking at there hmm. yeah it's it even big. almost kind of looks like a tic tac as it's going by you know i don't know it looks a little not as long mm -hmm. it's pretty big that's um, pretty big you know, it's not. Yeah, I did. If, can you stop it when it's over a tree, maybe, or something? I mean. Okay. Yeah. Let me try that. How can you size it if you can frame forward? Because the big thing, Troy, is it, it could it be a bug? But actually, in this video, in the actual raw footage, a few minutes before, there is a bug, and it looks it looks totally different. Like if you mm. look. Uh, maybe one more frame. Can you go one more? No, let me see what I can do there. That's that's a beautiful shot right there. Now it's out. Of out of the frame right yeah that's it i thought there was one more closer yeah hold on uh, let me see if i can get it faster yeah oh there you go that's pretty big so you see, that. there's a tree you're saying yeah, there's look a at tree, that tree here yeah yeah i mean it depends how much of it is like uh yeah <laughs> it looks like it so that would be larger than i was initially thinking you know hmm yeah, uh, Fravor said 40 feet. That looks like I could see where that could be, at least in that range, fuselage, uh, fighter uh, fuselage uh, length, maybe. That's what it looks like to me, anyway. Yeah, when I first watched it, I, I thought it was just a ball, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is what it looks like. But it, as you slow it down and when they zoom in, I, I don't know if that's a result of the, just the, because it's going so fast. That right. Oh, it's, it's stretching like, out. It's yeah. stretched out. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't actually make sense, but anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate your insight on that. And and Troy, I mean, to your point, I, I think that's extremely valid, right? We, we need more, the more data we can actually get on something like this, the more we can, you know, really understand it, legitimize it. But as you said, right now, it's, you know, it's something that looks fantastical, but there are a lot of fantastical things that we see uh, in video for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a, 
a physicist or anything like that, or like your astronaut friend, but like, why is it there a, a sonic boom with this? Right. And you're sure there's technologies or whatever. I mean, does that, can that even happen in this atmosphere? Um, so, so again, just thinking like just strictly down a, mm-hmm. you know, physics 101 kind of path. It, it's hard to imagine. Right. Right. So, right. No, for sure. Uh, well, let's yeah. go. Let's take a look at that the, at the next one. If you guys uh, want to get to some more of these. So. Yeah. And it shouldn't even matter what the size, right? Because, you know, a reason bullets are so loud is because they're, right. they're supersonic That's or right. most of them, right? They don't have to be supersonic, but most bullets are supersonic and then they slow down. Um, and if they slow down too much, they, they won't fuse, right? So you, uh, even if a bullet, so if a, even something this small goes supersonic, it will it be cracks. very loud. So it, it's yeah. not just the explosion from That's the, right. from the, it's right. not the gunpowder that causes all of the sound. It causes a lot of sound. Mm. But this this bullet going supersonic. So every time you hear shoot a gun, you're hearing a uh, it, it, it it's a supersonic wave as well. Okay. Um, so it, this thing, even I, I actually thought it was smaller than what we just kind of looked at. Mm-hmm. But even if it was small, it should have sounded like a bullet flying by these guys if they were around. You know, should have been like a gunshot at least, mm-hmm. even if it was a bullet size. So if it's yeah. like as big as a you know a bus, it should be making a full on it should be breaking windows i mean right chris they should have heard an aircraft engine if it was <laughs> something yeah. that we're we're familiar with i mean it would yeah. it would have sounded like an f-104 thunder chief going by i mean that that's you should hear something if that's an aircraft mm. it's obviously whatever it is it's not an aircraft he's obviously in flight idle coming down so <laughs> you know <laughs> That's wild. So they had yeah. the power all the way yeah. back, right, Troy? Just- <laughs> yeah, he's going from Mach 20 plus down to six. So yeah, just dial it back a little bit. But I do want to ask Troy. I mean, Troy, what do you think of that? You know, is it? Uh, do you just write it off? Or yeah, that that one I do. That one I yeah. do. I mean, I'm sure there's others that I'm like, like if you told me, Chris, like, hey man, I saw something one night and it boom did this. I I would believe you. Period. Right. Yeah. Um, this this one here. Ah. Yeah, I don't know, uh, an amateur video that he doesn't want to put out for three years. Uh, it doesn't, not, not to me, too, graphically, yeah. it doesn't look as good as some other ones I've seen. Mm. So okay. I, you know, but that's just me. I think I'm a little bit on the other side of the fence because I haven't seen enough to start to get that interest. And, and you know, yeah, I think there's no, probably some strange stuff out there. Let's go. Keep going so, then. What's the next one then? Next. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Okay, so here, so this next one is um, was uh, shared in 2019. This came from Jeremy Corbell, and it's um, a spherical UFO. This was captured from the USS Omaha in a warning area off of San Diego. Uh, so let me full screen that, and uh, I've got the audio on this one too because the crew. This is this was video captured in the CIC of the Omaha. Uh, so that. Yeah, this is the beginning when he tracks to the right. That's important. Frank Omaha, Pickney Kid, Rockwell Pearls, the possibility to launch Hilo ASAP. Flash of your bearing, 
you make it ten to the five rings at thirty five rounds to the five Sir. Yeah. Sure. Uh, get a lot of white water up there, some six foot twelve. Well, it's getting close. Okay. Yeah, we have uh, thirty one knots to stay in wind top side, gust of forty. What was splashed? Splashed. Mark bearing a range. All right. That's the clip. Reactions. Troy, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, fun to watch. Um, <laughs> was, that, sure. was that video off of a, a Navy ship? Correct. Yeah. It's the USS uh, Omaha. That video was out of the CIC. And I'll just say, I'll just preface this whole thing with saying that I believe that the Navy's given these to Jeremy Corbell. Uh, because I don't think that video would make it off the CIC without someone getting court-martialed. So clearly someone is allowing it to be emailed or somehow dropboxed to Jeremy Corbell, and that's how he's getting these videos. Hmm. He's gotten yeah, four or five of them or something. I don't know. Two or three. Hmm. I don't know how many, but he's gotten I did. Uh, I just want to bring up one point since you brought it up, uh, Nathan. Is um, yeah. Mick West was saying he has an argument uh, – that basically it's just a light behind a it's like a flashlight on the horizon okay a distant a distant plane mm-hmm. right? it's a distant plane and that's at the end that's what we're seeing right it's just it's flying away you got this plane that's that's flying away mm-hmm. you know on below the horizon and, and so that's what you're seeing like it's like going down like this you know got it um that's that's basically's main argument um but the problem is at the beginning if you go back to that beginning section mm-hmm uh, when it's tracking, right? You can see on the bottom screen. If you go back to the very beginning, um, okay. the time. If you look at the azimuth on the bottom, bottom, yeah, it should be right at the beginning. At the bottom, it says azimuth, and it says fifteen. Do you read it uh, right now? I I can't read it on here. Nathan might be able to, but I'm I'm yeah. trying. Hold on. Guys. On the representation, like our representation isn't clear enough. Because you use this system, right? You know this system, DJ, right? Is it MX13 or similar? No, the one, the Aguadilla one I used. That uh, one I did okay. use. Yeah. Okay. And which number would I be looking at, the bottom left or the? Yeah. Uh, so right in the center, if you go down, mm-hmm. uh, if you can maybe follow along with your mouse, I can track you down. It says 15. Okay. Yep. Yep. Oh, I see. So that yep. is, that's azimuth, right? So that's how it's looking left and right. And then right next to it is elevation, EL, and that's up and down. Um but I, I tried to use that for my original video when I was analyzing this, but I think it's it's not accurate enough because I think the ship is like listing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's not uh, aligned, but the azimuth does look accurate to me. Um, so if you measure the angles, and I did, um, from time zero, zero, uh, when it's at 15 degrees there. Mm-hmm. So if you go forward 25 seconds, if you just hit okay. play here, we can watch it. And you'll see as he tracks to the right, right? So he had to move to the right. He's having to move to the right. And when he moves the screen, when he moves the actual image, you'll see the azimuth go to the right, right? Um, yep, so basically, yeah. So in 25 seconds, okay, he's the camera has to move uh, 25 degrees. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it moves 25 degrees in 20 seconds. And so I did like some math. It's like the normal mill radian math I do, I've done in the past. Mm-hmm. So if you can read this, so 25 degrees, right? And then if you, if you use mill radian math, I figured out at three miles, how far did he go? 
Right, and then I'll do six miles and then 10 miles. Uh, yeah, let's see if you can bring it up. Yeah, hold on one second. Let me take it off real quick. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. Can you read that? Yeah, hold on. I'm going to get you. There we go. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so spherical-shaped UFO, right? There's your time. So it travels uh, 25 degrees in 20, 25 seconds. So, sorry, it's backwards. So that's 25 degrees off the nose of the, basically off the nose of the ship. It tracks, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So I, I calculated how far it would have traveled if it was three miles away, if it was six miles away, mm -hmm. and if it was 10 miles away. Right? Yep. So you can show the math there. If it was three miles away at the top, then basically you can, it would be going 0.3 Mach. Okay. So, so around 250 miles an hour. Now, if it's six miles away, it's going around 0.62 Mach. Okay. And if it's 10 miles away, it's going past the speed of sound, like we talked about, supersonic. Okay. Um, so it's kind of the same issue that Mick West ended up with in the, in the gimbal in the gimbal argument is it can't be a distant plane over the horizon unless it's going well over supersonic uh, because of the and that's what he what he'll do right or I, I've seen a lot of debunkers do it is they'll just pick one little one little spot of the video and say this doesn't work mm -hmm. uh, but their arguments incongruent because at the beginning of the video like I just showed it's tracking. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if it's a jet in the distance, it's going well over supersonic, and that's just if it's ten miles away. And we, I mean, this thing—if it's ten miles away—you should be able to see what it is. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, if it's well, and it, apologies if I'm asking a dumb question, but if it were that jet, right, and it were moving at the degree change that you at the azimuth change that you referenced, wouldn't we see some sort of profile of this object, like not just the down the tailpipe? Yeah, well, I guess his argument is that it could be a just a, a point source, mm. a heat point source, or or it's out of focus or something. Okay. I, I don't. It doesn't make sense it, it, mm -hmm. at all, really. Um, but yes, if it was ten miles away, if it was a plane, uh, we should be able to see it. It should look like more like a right. plane. More like a plane. Uh, yeah. You should see. Yeah, if it's traveling this way, you know, at uh, five hundred miles an hour, we should see heat shooting out this way. You know. Right. It shouldn't just look like this, this consistent ball of, of heat energy. Just very mm -hmm. strange to me. Um, yeah. So I, it's, I, it's I, just I, more Mick uh, clownery where he is trying to debunk Navy videos. And since he can't attack the totality of it, he'll try to find something instead of just saying, you know what? I don't know what it is. And that's good enough, you know, because we don't know what it is, but instead he's trying to say, it's not this so that, he can support his brand, his book, his website. And uh, he's not even approaching it from a position of, Hey, let's try to figure out what this thing is, where it is in space and what it's doing so that we could try to analyze what it might be. Instead, he's starting from a position of it's not, and this is why, and I'm just going to take that one little sliver of the cheesecake out to say that it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it doesn't work. Right. Because he says it's, it, it, it's obviously a plane at range. Uh, you know, it is clever, right? When you look at the, the light, if they have a flashlight, I don't have a flashlight handy, but if, if you do a flashlight, you know, below, it, it does actually, it does look like it, okay? So they're, mm -hmm. they're clever. His argument makes sense in that specific little point, right? But he mm -hmm. doesn't apply the argument over here because his argument doesn't make sense over here. 
Yeah, the right. Distance, if it was yeah. if it was a plane at range, it can't be going well over supersonic. That's at ten miles, right? So, you know, it it went. It's basically the the distance it is. So if it's twenty miles away, it's going to be going Mach two. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most things can't go Mach two at that at low altitude. Um, mm. And you know, it's not that far away. The curve of the Earth is going to make some big difference. So, you know, you can't go Mach two at at a thousand feet above the ground. It's just I don't know many planes that can even do that. Um, mm. Yeah. So yeah, it's okay. it's just uh, it's not an honest analysis of of what we're looking at. It's an analysis to try to draw the conclusion that he wants it to be. Instead, yep. the rest of us are like, I don't know what the hell it is. That's yeah, well. <laughs> uh, any other any other parting thoughts on this one, Troy? Before we go to the next one, hey Chris, how would the math change if the like? Do we know if the ship is stationary or could it be moving in the opposite direction at fifteen knots? And how would that change math? Yeah, it, it could, but but um, but that doesn't change the angles, right? You know, if if it's far away, uh, it, it 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 would just mean that it's closer. That right, because my camera's got to move a little bit quicker to the right if I'm going yeah. in the opposite. Oh, now, if he's sailing in the same direction, right? Then and then, do we not have a range on this object? Like, uh, is that just a camera, not a radar? Right. So we really don't know how far that I is. No, right? uh, well, on this one, there's no there's no range from the laser. So there's no laser range finding. <laughs> I believe they don't get any returns. So they're hmm. I think they're they're hitting lasers at it. And so so it's capable. So this camera is capable of giving you a range. It just isn't in this yeah. scenario. It right? says okay. LRF armed, no return. Okay. So I, I'm pretty sure they fired at this thing with their laser and they get nothing back. Um, but yet he said mark bearing and range. So perhaps he knows what it is, but the data wasn't displayed or given to us. Was that on the splash though or on the object? I, I, yeah, maybe curious. on the splash. Maybe that's just a common phrase to use to say, hey, write mm. down the details. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. You know, yeah, put that down. Yeah. Maybe some, you know, write something down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bring up, hey, Nathan, if you would yes. bring up that pyramid one thing, because I just can't get enough of seeing that thing if you can. Okay. Uh, Real quick. I mean, yeah. we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but I love looking at this thing because it just blows me away. But in so, Troy, I think this is one of the best, you know, IR videos we have of, of the sphere. And then the, the pyramid one that DJ's talking about was the same, uh, the same time frame, same event. I think it was a different day. Or, or actually, it may have been that night. Actually, it was, I think it, it was different craft, though. Remember, because one of them, I think this is the Omaha, and the other one is the USS Russell. There it is. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, but they're all together. They're all in the same uh, group. There was a Viper group that basically. Um, oh, the Viper team, that was yep. covered. Okay, so here it is, Troy. Sorry, this is yeah, all clip. Yeah, see if you can that's, find a, a different version, the one that shows the whole. Yeah. There's yeah. the rest of it in here. I don't know if that's, I'm going to do that. That's clearly a close up of such... a piece of confetti coming down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. That one really that one really blows my mind, that pyramid one. It should have been on Jeremy's or yeah. George's website. Sorry, I just didn't have it ready. So That's okay. I did a few on it. I mean, Maybe they have this, bo- this bokey argument that's right there. The one that has Jeremy Corbell's logo on it. I don't know if that'll be it, but anyway, I was just curious what you guys think of that. What is your thoughts on that one, Chris? I, I, my own just assessment um, is that the, the light that's that they're emanating, whatever these objects are, is just so weird 
that it's causing these kind of weird effects inside of the night vision devices. But that's what I think. It's showing up as this weird triangle shape. Uh, the only the reason I say that is just because they were uh, they were. Um, it's too convenient that all of the angles line up the same, right? If you measure the angle of that triangle right there, and you measure it, uh, it it's basically the orientation appears to be the same as the other ones. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It seems like yeah. it, it's inside the it it the bokeh the bokeh or bokeh effect, however you say it. Mm -hmm. uh, it appears like. It's just so coincidental that they're all lined up at the same angle. Right. So that's why, to me, it, it seems like there's some effect. I guess it could be triangle or pyramid-shaped craft happen to all be in the same angle. That's uh, But I yeah. think, yeah, more likely is that it's those those circle balls. Mm -hmm. But the light is just so weird that it's non-compatible, that it's causing some weird effects on the microplane. So is this somebody, is this somebody on the ground filming this? This is or a Navy ship. In their cockpit? Okay. This this is the USS Russell, and they're using it. If I you guys can correct me, Chris or Nathan, it's an on deck uh, night vision device that they're looking through. And you I, see it's the filmed map. by a Navy pilot, from what I understand, Troy. So I think he's just one of the pilots. I don't know if he's a helicopter or fighter pilot. But what what did this object do? Did it did it just kind of suspend there, or did it like leave at some point, or is it or is it going like left to right? It's just hard to tell because the angle of the camera. Uh, on this, you know, I actually found, I actually thought that they were um, just Hit sitting again, there Nathan, kind of motionless. Yeah. But they said, George Knapp and, um, and Jeremy Corbell, they said that these were actually following the ship. So basically going along next to the ship. Okay. Uh, and then going into the water with them. So mirroring them. And, and there was multiples of them. It, it, basically, they said that there, there seemed to be like one that was up high and it would be kind of like flashing this weird flash pattern. And then the other two would be like just hanging out, not flashing. And and once again, Troy, the Navy is they're choosing an under George Knapp is a Peabody award winning journalist. He's been following the UFO topic for many years, and he has an underling who's a filmmaker named Jeremy Corbell. And for some reason, they have chosen to give these videos exclusively to Jeremy Corbell. And I don't know why, but I'm sure it's coming with with somebody on that ship is approving the release of this video because if not, I mean, they would, it wouldn't take them very long to figure out who gave it to him. Yeah. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, is this to me? I don't know. I can't see Either, you guys. Both of you. Both of you. Oh, we can't see you, Nathan. I'm sorry. Both of you. I, I think Jeremy, they just, uh, it was the Viper team, right? So a Viper team, is a visual reconnaissance team essentially? You know, they're like a it's like a tiger team for information. Um, and so basically, they were they were filming inside the CIC. You know, I think it was basically mm -hmm. uh, personnel from off the ship came onto the that, ship. That's not my what understanding. I'm saying. What I'm saying is, if the video was given to Jeremy, somebody okayed that. Mm. It didn't. No one just said, "Oh, I'm going to take my pride." Oh, my you mean like uh, email. The provenance of the video and, and yeah, like, it was proven it up was, higher to, to be was, leaked. Yes, it was approved. authorized for release. I'm not saying the word leak because that 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 means uh, not authorized. Right. That that they authorized it to be released to him for whatever their reasons are. I have no idea what those reasons are. I don't know. I, I mean, my impression is that um, 
No, they just uh, he got the information and it was unclassified. <laughs> That's uh, that was my impression, but yeah, it's interesting. All right, let's look at one more. I know we had a couple others. Let me do one Troy, more. That, did uh, did you have a thought on that? He's gotten two or three videos. I I can't believe that's a coincidence that nobody's in trouble. I I don't know. I mean, like like that one compared to the other ones where they're they're moving abnormally. This one seems to be sitting there like how I would put a drone over over a city or uh, and you know sometimes we think too. I think the general public like oh wow you're in the air force then you know a lot more to a <laughs> civilian right. than you actually know, right? It's like, well, yeah, I had a, maybe a top secret clearance, but I, I still don't know anything. Like, I'm not, like, could, could that be a, could that be an Iranian drone? I don't know where they're, where they're at. That, that's, that's not could what that I'm saying. A, I'm, that's not the question that I'm asking. Would there be consequences, basically, right? That's oh, no, no, I'm saying if, if that video left that ship, and got to a Dropbox or an email of Jer Jeremy Corbell. Somebody okayed that. They didn't just email it to Jeremy Corbell or send it to his Dropbox. That's what I'm saying. They or may have different though. Navy ships. Yeah, but the same Viper team. I don't know. My impression is there's just one guy who was on that Viper team that gave all the information. But I, mm. that's just a guess, honestly. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not even saying that's not true. I'm not disputing yeah. that point. I'm saying somebody okayed that up, up, up top. Someone I doubt it, man. I, I, mean, I, I don't know. Been... I've got, I've got video that I probably shouldn't have. Oh, do you? Around. Oh, okay. Well, wait. flying around <laughs> and stuff, right? Sure. <laughs> I, 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 I didn't. I, I, I didn't ask uh, Cat Five if I could, you know, keep this video or, or whatever, right? So maybe not. I mean, if a pilot's got a set of MVGs and he filmed it on his personal, whatever. Maybe not. You can't even ha you yeah. can't have a cell phone inside the CIC. I mean, that'd be like taking it in the jock. I mean, oh, I thought, that's not I the thought CIC. This, I thought there was a shot out on a Navy oh, ship. I thought that's it was on deck. But... Information yeah, no, no, this is from up in deck, uh, DJ. Which one? But I'm saying they're all being given to him. It's not a coincidence. What I'm saying is somebody's allowing that. That video came off of the CIC. Someone authorized that. It to wasn't leave. the CIC. Well, the first one. The, I mean, it, it's possible, right? So I guess it's it's. Um, I see. No, your no, point. the CIC is down in the center of the ship, right? So that's right. So uh, the the first yeah. one, the sphere one we looked at was CIC. Mm -hmm. The the right. triangle one was deck was of the not. ship. So right, right, correct. No, no, I don't think it's CIC that you're uh, that uh, that sphere one. That's that's up in the in the deck. Oh, you uh, think that's up in well, the bridge. what I read was I read it was on the, the CIC ship cockpit. Oh, but, really? I, okay. I believe so. I mean, I don't think they're okay. filming down in the CIC. Um, yeah, well, that's you know, what that I read. radar. Yeah, the radar that he was filming. That was the um, that's the spinning marine radar. The, it's mm -hmm. like seeking. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the, I think they just had the other one like up on the on the screen. So it's not classified. Like the CIC should have all your the sea giraffe, whatever that classified mm -hmm. system radar is that we'll never see. Right. But they have all the information. Mm -hmm. You know, they should have had like high high quality radar track on that thing. Right? Oh yeah. Sure. Not just like this spinny radar that we're seeing, you know, you should have weapons quality, you know, radar tracking it. Um, so yeah, where's I, all that information? You know, if, I, I think if it was really going to be approved for release, hopefully we would get more information than just this, these kind of crappy, uh, well not crappy, but <laughs> right. short, let's say short, uh, truncated videos right. that don't have a lot of information. Right. More would be better. Well, let's look at this last one here, then we'll yeah. wrap it up. This one's great. Yeah, 
There's a whole fleet of them, look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Oh, I think, dude. That's not an LNS, though, is it? It's not. I do have an LNS, dude. Well, if there's a other thing, it's rotating. All right. Can I ask Troy a question on this? Sure. Uh, what, so what do you what do you hear him say at the beginning? Hundred not headwind. No, at the beginning when he talks about it being a drone or what do you hear? Dude, it's a fucking drone, bro. What do you that hear part? him say? It's uh, it's an effing drone, bro. Is what I heard. He says it is or it isn't. I don't know. It is. That's that's what I thought he said. That's what you got. Okay, I'm curious. That's a good question. I never analyzed that. That could yeah, you're saying it could be either word. one, right? Is or isn't. Hard to make. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. All right, who wants to take who wants to take reaction to this one? Chris, I know you've done a breakdown on it. Uh, uh Troy, what do you what do you think of it? Yeah, I love the pilot's reaction, right? Because it's it it gives you that sense of this is different. This is different tonight. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me, uh, visually, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know guys. It's, uh, I want to see some of this stuff with my right. own eyes. And then I want, <laughs> then I want to know what the government knows, <laughs> right. like, let's stop playing games. And then I want to meet the men that are flying these things, you know, like, let's mm -hmm. get on with it. Right. Uh, so I just kind of want to jump to the end, you know, yep. of the, uh, of the mystery. I, I mean, I, I love it. Uh, I just, uh, you know, let's let's get after these guys. Let's shoot it down. Let's let's analyze it and <laughs> and let's get on with it. You know, <laughs> I like it. You said men, though. You th you think it's humans? If it is, ah. so let's say it is. Only because I have a small imagination, right? Of just you know, ET <laughs> and, and uh, you know, Predator, one of the greatest movies ever. You know, absolutely. So, um, that that's why, right? Because it's it's implanted, right? I think that's why. They're not, they're going with UAPs of UFOs, right? I think UFO has a, from the 1950s, right? It has, it has something to it of sci-fi yep. and, and not, not real maybe, right? So they're, I think they're trying to up their game here. Um, so that's all I could think of, right? Is I, I, it seems like technology that would be pretty advanced. And I would love if that's us that has this stuff and we're, you know, we're flying stuff around and, and, private citizens are, are seeing it, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. A pretty big universe out there. What do you guys think? I mean, I'm in the same boat. Um, like the frustration, right. Cause th there's somebody like there, we have all these little nuggets, you know, these little nuggets and, and we've got skilled people who've looked at this and they've given some interesting thoughts on it. Uh, but clearly we aren't getting the whole picture and that's just super frustrating. Like why, why the breadcrumbs, you know, why, why, uh, these tiny pieces and what is the what is the story here uh, so yeah i'm with you yeah i think there's just so much evidence i mean just keep looking troy i mean yeah no but i mean you say good. evidence here's where i'm at with this right and i'm not yeah. as experienced as you guys you say evidence well evidence of what evidence of something unexplained 
Yes. But I mean, so, but what does that mean? Like what, what like why, when I say, what does it mean? I say, I kind of like, why, why do I care as well? Right. Like I've got, I've got ice fishing coming up. Right. So I'm looking at where I'm going to go. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't own a snowmobile yet. So I'm going to have to walk. Like I've got things on my to-do list. Yes. And until these things start, uh, you know, like independence day until Will Smith <laughs> joins the Marine Corps, an F-18 pilot, like I, I don't yeah. see it as a threat to national security yet. Right. So I agree. It's, it's uh, but, unexplained but, evidence, but what, what's the why behind it, I guess. And, and yeah, I'm not Troy, trying to be rude. I'm just like, no. not, a, not at all, Troy, I, but I do want to say this. Ryan Graves, one of your colleagues in the Navy just was at the, that aviation safety conference where he briefed these things followed us on deployment. We saw them every day for a year. One of them split a formation of two. And first of all, you get into your working airspace and they're there every yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I don't maybe know. Yeah. file some maybe file some hatters, the FAA, you know, and the, the bureaucratic uh, you know, government will will get involved. I don't know. Yeah, I mean <laughs> nobody's hit it one yet, seems, right? It mm. seems so coincidental though. That just the you, you know, that there's been, you know, reports of flying saucers for like 70 years. And now we get this video, which is confirmed, you know, valid from the from the U.S. government. And it looks like a flying saucer. You know, that's just for me, that's like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, so what have the last 70 years been? So, like, they've been saying that everybody's just crazy, you know, that, that you know, these uh, people that said they've seen UFOs or flying saucers, it's just ridiculous, you know, crackpots. But now they're like, now it's like, oh, oh no, like we have a video of flying saucers. So that, I don't know. For me, I just, I just kind of feel very curious as to yeah. what, what is going I, on. I just want to say yeah. I watched a 12 minute video today of pilots. Every, so this was UFO sightings. Every single one of them was a pilot. Mm. Military, civilian, foreign military, French, English. And every one of them was saying, this is what I saw. So some, but I understand from Troy's point of view, it's not hovering over my, the area where I'm trying to put my auger in to dig a hole for my ice fishing. Mm. But for Graves, he's like, this is existential. It's in my working airspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody, nobody tell me what it is or why they're there. And is it a threat or isn't it? Right. You right. can yeah. file hatters from now till the end of the century. That's not going to do anything. Well, I was just because... joking about, you know, yeah. getting yeah, get the FAA I, involved. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. The FAA is gone. It doesn't. Nothing to see here. Doesn't exist. Um, in fact, the one the 1986 Japan Airlines one. That guy came to the National Press Club and said he worked for the FAA. He was an official, and basically that 747, this big craft, turned up right in front of it. They gave him a turn, and it followed him around the turn. Gigantic craft of some sort. He said, "You know what? They could wash it away. I still have the teletype." of all that audio in my house. They could do whatever they want with the, the tapes. I still have the, the actual uh, data. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Troy, have you, as a civilian pilot, have you gotten any, has there been any talk at all of UFOs or UAPs or seeing balls of light or anything? No. And you know, maybe, maybe I'll start asking now after, after being on this, right. I was looking for some sort of conversation starter. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I never have. And I've never in 20 years, heard anybody talk about it. And honestly, like, I think 
I don't think personally there'd be a stigma against it back then. I think, you know, you, you have enough beers and, and you're enough situations to where, mm-hmm. you know, guys would be like, Oh yeah. You know, I, it's a cool story. This right? story. And then I'll one up yeah. you with, with another story. Right. And only 10% needs to be true. Never heard, never heard any of it. Um, mm. per, for, personally, for people I know, you, you know what I mean? Like face to face. Sure. Kind of Nor have I, I haven't heard any. So. Yeah. Well, well I think me, it's so I, easy. Yeah. Like you said, it doesn't apply. So you just let it go, you know, or, um, I could just see how I, I could imagine just hundreds of these stories happening, mm. but just like you said, in a bar, people are talking about it. Somebody's drunk. Yeah. I saw this flying saucer thing. It was flying next to me and then flew off. And, and like, just like you said, it'd be like, Oh, that's crazy. You know? And then everyone just goes on with their lives. Like nothing changes. I really think yeah. that's, that's because it, it really takes somebody to, to, to like raise their hand and be like, wait, hold on. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, everyone's already left, you know, everyone's ready, you know, they're going to the party, but you're like, wait, hold well, on. Guys. Yeah. You and know? if you haven't and captured it right yeah. now, now you can't kind of prove it or analyze it. And now we're starting to do that. Right. And is there any connection between the amount of cameras everybody mm. has in their pocket compared to 70 years ago, the amount of electronic just yeah. energy we, we shoot out there. I mean, does it make sense that we're picking up so much more footage than we did 70 years ago? I, I tend to think maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, I also, I also said to them, Troy, if you look at the Eglin range, there yeah. are more systems with sensors operating on the Eglin range on a nightly basis than anywhere else in the world. And I, I'll challenge anybody. You have MC one thirties, AC-130s of different types. You have F-15s, you have F-16s, you have F-35s, you have F-22s, all operating on one range. And I haven't heard of one, but for some reason, the nuclear-powered Navy ships, they're interested in. Hmm. So what are you trying to say? I don't know. (laughs) I'm saying it's not a... There's not a... the, the The UAPTF report indicated there's a collection bias that maybe because the mm-hmm. Navy's out there with all these sensors. And I was like, well, then if that's the case, the Eglin range, we should be seeing them every night because mm-hmm. there's more sensors on that range every night than any other place on the planet that I could think of. Not, yeah, sometimes, not though, every I day, think, like in a 24-hour yeah. period. But I just wonder, though, too, if you're not, you know, the, the, if you don't have your sensors pointing in the right spot, you're not going to see anything besides what you've seen every night for the last 20 years on the range, right? Um, sure maybe something's even come up on it, but it's just, uh, I didn't even kind of, yeah, something unusual is there, but Hey, my job is to, is right. to run these, these widgets and, you know, yeah. That, well, there's an operating paradigm, right? So like if it doesn't fit within that paradigm, it's yeah. just, it's just noise. It's just not easily dismissed. Not, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That could be, that could be too. So yeah, I just uh, hope I, this time we, we, you know, we focus down and, I don't know what's going on. Why do I look like I'm glowing? <laughs> you're, you're, you're fading you're out on us. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Chris has made the I was getting tired, but I'm like, man, it looks like I'm turning into no, a ghost or something. We're, we're going to let you go, but I did yes. want to, I did want to offer something up uh, before we, uh, before we get you guys out of here. And that is that on the 20th, we are going to have on former U S air force combat controller and OSI officer, Rick Doty. If you Google his name, Rick, and then D-O-T-Y, you'll find out who he is. And it's Crash Retrieval Week. So one of our colleagues uh, in, on the UFO Twitter community has asked everybody to do uh, uh, a show that talks about 
crashes and possible retrievals. So we're going to bring on this former U.S. Air Force guy. US, so he actually retired from the New Mexico State Police after his two twin-tiered Air Force career. Very hmm. interesting guy. Uh, heavy hitter in the Intel and OSI. I've heard community. of him. Yeah, yeah. Rick Doty. And if you guys want to come on, you want to ask him a question, he says that he has been told that uh, we have captured that uh, we have uh, captured downed craft. He has really? said that on. Yeah, I'd yes. love to be and there. I want to ask him. <laughs> I want to ask him about it. I'm, I'm not going to. There are people who say he was counter intel and all this. He was at Kirtland with uh, 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 like us, Troy, but he was on the OSI side of things. And um, he says that he's got information on several of these different things. And I would like to ask him about it and see if he'll open up about it a little bit. You are We're America. Of course we've captured this stuff, right? I mean, <laughs> absolutely. What haven't yeah. we done? <laughs> you guys are more than, more than welcome to, to uh, come on. If you want to ask him something about it. Uh, I find the guy pretty fascinating and, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, it should be a good show. Uh, speaking of good show, this was a great show. And I wanted thank to you. thank uh, all of you guys for taking the time out of your busy schedules to, uh, to speak with us and talk about this stuff. I think it was incredibly interesting. Uh, you educated me a lot on on everything on your backgrounds and expertise. So I really th can't thank you enough. And thank you for taking time to look at these videos and give reactions. Uh, really interesting perspective. So uh, looking forward to hopefully getting a chance to talk with you all again. And uh, with that being said, those of you watching, please don't forget to like and subscribe to our Thanks. channel, Calling All Beings. We're getting started and there will be more good things to come. Thank mm -hmm. you. And as my co-host likes to say, one love. Peace out. Peace out. One love. And we'll see you down the road, Chris Lado and my brother, Troy Braskovitz. Right. See you guys. Thanks, Herman, for being here. And, uh, <laughs> and Rob, thanks to you guys. Yes. Peace. Peace.